Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Raw Show with Michael McDonald and I have a very special guest. We have Codrin Arsene joining me today. Codrin, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Codrin is someone that's been working in, in corporate for several years, but after he got out of corporate, he saw that many companies under-delivered on the digital initiatives. He founded Digital Authority Partners to help startups and enterprises adopt new and exciting technologies to solve complex problems. So I get a funny feeling when I dive into a lot in terms of technology and how that's going to change businesses and industries as well. But I thought we'd, we'd dive into your background first, if that's okay, Codrin. So could you share with me and our listeners where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Um, sure, absolutely. So uh, I was actually born in a small city in uh, Romania. Uh, and I uh, went to school in Romania until uh, I graduated from high school. And then I... Um, I was accepted uh, with a full scholarship at uh, the University of uh, Chicago on uh, the south side of Chicago. And that's how I uh, moved to the United States. And uh, I got my uh, BA in the University of Chicago. I was a little bit of a recidivist and uh, I also got a master's degree uh, from the same institution. And after that, I, I got um, my first job out of school. Um, was at Sears Holding Corporation, the Amer American retailer. I um, worked in one of their most innovative uh, divisions, which was called the Integrative Retail Lab. It was the, the one division where all the cool new ideas and new concepts were being experimented with to see what would uh, convince customers both uh, in-store and online to uh, buy more and interact more and engage more with uh, the brand. And, uh, you know, here in the United States, when, when, when people talk about Sears, there's always a, a negative connotation since the retailer has been struggling quite a lot over the last 10 years. Um, but as far as my experience is concerned, um, I learned a lot. I would say that I learned more about digital strategy and what a consumer uh, needs and looking for. Uh, in the three years at, at Sears than, uh, than I probably did ever since. It was a very intense um, environment where we spent quite a lot of time thinking about innovative ideas and new technologies. Um, and it was, to a large extent, fairly nimble. So you could come up with an idea, and if you really fought for it, you'd be able to at least try to do a, a proof of concept so, you know, competitive, uh, fairly, you know, quite, quite forward looking. And, and I learned so much. And after that, you know, I, I progressed um, professionally. I went and worked for a Japanese uh, multinational, um, also in their digital space, particularly online. Um, when it comes down to Sears, uh, the first project that I worked on was rolling out um, one of the first end-to-end -end points of sale that was mobile. So even today, Sears Associates have an iPad and an iPod uh, where they can basically uh, help uh, customers check out. They can answer questions about any products. So I was responsible for that um, uh, rollout as product manager on, on the Sears team uh, in charge of that in-store mobile point of sale. And after that, I worked in uh, more online uh, before I started Digital Authority Partners. And what Digital Authority Partners is, um, we're a 
agency and product development company out of Chicago. We partner with uh, different um, Fortune 500 companies and we work with them on a wide variety of digital initiatives. Typically, customers come to us with a problem. They have, let's say, uh, a, a mobile application which has not been performing quite well and they're looking for strategies and recommendations and um, the implementation help uh, to improve on the mobile application or they have a website that is not doing very well and they come up with similar questions like what can I do to be better but it, it, particularly in the last three to four years what's really really exciting is that we're now seeing more and more companies that come to us and they are interested in what's called emerging technologies right there are all these buzzwords that people talk about but they cannot really grasp uh, what the implications are and, or how to use them. So a good example would be artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain, um, uh, predictive analytics, personalization strategies. There's all of these emerging uh, fields like VR, virtual reality, augmented reality. There's, there's just so many things happening from a pure technological perspective that has already had a profound impact on how businesses interact with people, with how people interact with people, or even how uh, computer systems interact with each other behind the scenes to um, do things quicker and more effectively and efficiently so that a business uh, runs smoothly. Um, and, and these are the things that we're really, really excited about. Like just right now, at this moment in time, we're working on an amazing initiative um, which leverages artificial intelligence and facial recognition to uh, basically pair two people who may be interested in both dating but also networking with like-minded like people. Um, that's one of the, our projects that it is going to go live uh, probably in the next month and we're really, really excited to see how artificial intelligence can do a better job at uh, matching people and not necessarily just from a romantic point of view but also uh, in terms of people that they should be in touch with because they have um, similar interests, because they may be in the same industry and they're looking to network or learn from each other. And you know, another initiative we're working on that's really cool uh, is, is in, the, um, in the healthcare space where we're really um, working with a client, a large client, to roll out a major initiative that would help doctors be more up-to-date with what um, is really relevant to them and their line of business, and that's both information, updates, uh, prescription, uh, drugs that have been approved or drugs that have been recalled. So there we're, we're working with um, quite complex uh, predictive analytics algorithms to match uh, uh, different doctors with what they are most interested in at the point of care. So what we're seeing like holistically is that uh, across the board, in various industries that we're active in, more and more companies are becoming uh, quite, uh, I would say, comfortable with experimenting with new technologies. And that's really, really important because ultimately, I would say the last 10 years um, have been basically one revelation after another. Just think about it. Just, you know, 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, we didn't have an iPhone. Now, not only do we have an iPhone, but an iPhone is doing significantly more than just being a phone, 
right? We used to use the phone just to call people. And in fact, now calling people is the least of the use cases that a smartphone is used for. Yeah, it's amazing when, when you think about it that way because now there's a lot of smartphones that are probably more powerful than what computers used to be like and it's almost like having a computer in your pocket now. Uh, one of the things that, that stuck out for me was you seem to be in the industry of creating solutions to problems. So you mentioned Sears and, and helping companies with things like um, mobile applications and a website that might not be doing that well. You sort of step in and say, well, we'll do this instead. What's your, what's your process for creating those solutions? Um, yeah, so I think ultimately we don't even think in terms of solutions when we engage with a client. What we think about is the problem, right? We're really focused and zeroed in on making sure that we understand fully what problem you have as a company. Um, what tools we use, what technologies we implement is always secondary. See, the problem is that many companies, um, and this is another thing we're seeing with clients, you know, Someone comes to us and says, I want to do something in AI, with AI, with artificial intelligence. We're like, okay, artificial intelligence ultimately is just a, a, a way of thinking about technology. It's automation. And yes, there's some specific technical language that you need to know, but it's not an end in and on itself. Same reason why, you know, sometimes we, we talk to people and they come to us and say, I want a mobile app. Well, like, have you considered whether a mobile app is even useful for you? Right, because the problem is that people hear all these buzzwords and then they react. Right, when you create a solution, you shouldn't necessarily be fully reactive. You should be proactive. Once you understand the core problem, then you understand the environment in which you operate. And once you understand the environment, you understand what are the different touch points of which one could be a website, one could be mobile. But oftentimes, what we see is that big companies, they, they don't necessarily need a significant improvement on a mobile app. They may need a cross-functional omni-channel experience. They may need the call center to talk to the mobile app, to talk to the website, to talk to the tablet, right? So our process is always centered around one thing, which is help me understand your problem, and then I will tell you how I would solve it and tap into different types of uh, programming languages, technologies, and processes that will ultimately make you successful. Um, and I think that's very critical, is that executives, and just not executives, entrepreneurs, like entrepreneurs need to think through that uh, lens, which is like, what is the problem I'm trying to solve for? What is the market I'm trying to appeal to? Right? So there's like, we, we see entrepreneurs coming to us all the time. Like we, we've talked about enterprises, and of course that's exciting to many people because enterprises are slow and you know entrepreneurs they come up with ideas they um they do something but the reality is that most of the money and the power remains for a lot of companies in the enterprise field but i see even entrepreneurs making mistakes when it comes down to this approach uh is that they come and say you know we have a client so i cannot go into a lot of details about it but we had a client who basically spent probably close to a million dollars on a mobile application, when in fact, the market did not even support the need for a mobile application. The market and how people were interacted, interacting with similar products was all driven by purchasing on a website. So 
that that person wanted to have a mobile app application because he was like, everybody has a smartphone today. Well, yes, but you need to take into account what people are doing on a smartphone. The types of engagements that we as users have on a smartphone, they're very different from, from websites, which is why, you know, an interesting stat, the, the, even if we are currently constantly on our phones, most of our purchases are still done online, right? The overall conversion rate on a mobile phone is still three times less than on a website. See, why is that the case? Because people on a mobile device, on a smartphone, what they normally do is they discover new things. They consume information. They get new ideas. But then when it comes down to purchasing, they go on the website more often than not. Um, and there's also you know, a, a big fear with purchasing on a mobile application. And that's because like, you may be missing something. Maybe there's something there on the page that you're not seeing, and then you have an issue, and then you have to, to deal with it after the fact. So all, you know, just to wrap it up is that we're in the business of solving business problems. And when, when people come to us, that's what we tell them, like, help me understand your problem. And I will tell you to the best of my knowledge and the best of my team's knowledge, what is the most effective uh, and powerful way to solve that problem? And that, in my opinion, is the only way to really be successful um, in business and in technology. It's almost like from what you said there that um, the technology is like the tool for how you would solve the problem. So if people say, well, I want a mobile app, was this the um, example that you gave? Is it right? Well, if the app won't solve your problem, then we've got to come up with something else because it's, it's almost like people want the, the thing, as you said, like they hear buzzwords and they want to then just go off and into the sunset with that buzzword. But so, sometimes it takes it takes something like that for them to maybe turn around and say, well, maybe I'll try something different. And then one other thing that I quite like what you said as well was it's it's hard to actually understand what, what the actual results are. Like you mentioned with... Um, people actually purchasing on websites more than purchasing on uh, mobiles which was a little bit of a, a surprise to me I guess because there's a lot of things out there that are to do with purchasing but as you said people think that you know they might be missing something like the information on the screen maybe they don't trust the, the system as much as they would on a computer so it's interesting when you say that people do consume more on phones but they're probably buying more on websites using their desktop or, or their laptop or whatever the case may be, which sort of brings me on to the, the next question, which would be, what do you see happening in terms of future technologies like artificial intelligence? We've got uh, virtual reality. We've got augmented reality. We've got robotics. Um, there's a lot of talk about self-driving cars at the moment. So what, what do you sort of see happening? Because you've been in this position for a while whereby your future thinking regarding technologies. What, what can you see happening and how do you see it playing out? Yeah, great question. Absolutely. So the one thing I, I want to start this conversation with before we we talk about any specific use cases is we all have to treat technology as an enabler. That's all it is, right? Technology can be used to do something else, but it's not an end in and on itself, right? So, you know, when it comes down to artificial intelligence, 
there's a very interesting conversation happening at a global level. And then you have powerful people like Elon Musk who continue to talk uh, primarily about the negative uh, impacts at a global scale uh, when it comes down to artificial intelligence in particular. Right, so artificial intelligence is incredibly powerful, right? Um, ultimately, uh, when it comes down to AI, there's a few things to uh, basically think about. It's one is replacing manual tasks that are happening today with an automated system that can do the same thing without fail, right? That's the, the simplest use case, right? Like today, somebody is entering some information on a laptop, which they have in a different source to complete a task. And the point is you're, you're teaching a computer and that computer takes over that task and does it more or less flawlessly if you've programmed it correctly, right? That's right. the most inaccurate yeah. uh, uh, example, right? So to be even more specific, you've got a nest thermostat, right? In the past, you had to go and use your uh, thermostat to basically take the temperature up and down. The thermostat, instead of doing that, learns that you're home from this hour to this hour, that you have this preference in regards to the, uh, the coldest temperature you wanna have and the warmest, and then it adjusts based on how often you come to your house, right? So the point is, the system is there, it's AI, it's a very basic form of AI, but an AI nonetheless, right? So nobody has intrinsic problems with basic AIs, right? Um, if you think of what, you know, what Elon Musk is and um, what other people are talking and, and working on, like, I don't know if you're familiar with like Hanson Robotics out of Hong Kong. So Hanson Robotics, uh, just go to, um, uh, if you go to YouTube and look up Sophia the Robot, right? Um, Sophia the Robot is one of the most advanced artificial intelligence in the world. It's a robot. It has a humanoid face. It looks like a woman. Um, even if it's fairly slow when it comes down to its reasoning, it's, it's beyond amazing, right? It has uh, uh, both programmed uh, things that she can talk about, but also it makes logical correlations like a human being. And like a human being, it can interact with other people uh, in, in real life. It can even sing, right? So, the, those are the two extremes. You have the small AIs, and then you have this amazing artificial intelligence that comes out of, you know, Hanson Robotics. And what is amazing is that uh, Sophia learns over time. Sophia is connected with other robots that they've built, right? They've built smaller robots, larger, medium, larger robots. And the point is, as soon as Sophia or all, any of the other robots learn something, that information gets pushed to the cloud and instantaneously gets shared with everybody else. So this is where you now have people who are really afraid, including Elon Musk, right? I mean, the reality, you're talking about a self-autonomous car. Like, well, Tesla has the most advanced uh, form of artificial intelligence when it comes down to um, self-driving cars. And even if Tesla has had some accidents and some people died, and, you know, on occasion it was the result of um, the, the artificial intelligence, is the result of the self-driving um, algorithm, holistically overall, people are significantly safer in Teslas than in any other types of car. Um, but that's also because, you know, it's using that sort of AI that is not, at this moment in time, the most advanced one. Now, of course, what's happening is that now people are really afraid because artificial intelligence 
virtual reality, augmented reality, there's no regulation around them, right? So that is, you know, Elon Musk is the primary point is that artificial intelligence will completely revolutionize and impact every single aspect of our lives. And I agree with that. And his fear, of course, is that, well, there's nobody there to ensure that, you know, for lack of a better word, robots will not really take over the world. Now, that is the type of fear that I would say is kind of um, right now hindering other types of innovations in the field. Uh, ultimately, what's happening is that Elon Musk is thinking of the long-term gain, but before we get there, and hopefully, you know, in this side, where I side with him, you should have some regulation. But before we can actually talk about that scenario, there is just so much innovation that can happen uh, today, and innovation that should happen, innovation that more, more, more likely than not will have no impact over a uh, centralized system of AI that can ultimately just talk to each other. Uh, it's all the small um, automation that should happen, things that would save lives, things that would make our lives better, things that will remove um, quite a lot of inefficiencies in our day-to-day jobs. So it, it's an, we live in an interesting time where, on the one hand, you got people like Elon Musk, you're talking about like the worst type of AI, and then you have most other companies very slowly adopting AI uh, with their own fears and their own doubts. And there's no kind of point, there's nothing in the middle, right? We're like, let's adopt AI because AI makes sense, because AI can be programmed in a way that would um, basically impact our lives in a positive way. And yes, when it comes down to larger conversations about uh, the negative impacts of AI, let's have those conversations, but separately from what artificial intelligence, virtual reality, self-autonomous cars, all of these examples can actually do for us today. One of the things that really stuck out for me, I mean, I, I, I don't know how, how important this actually is, but the idea that we're almost projecting too far into the future with it, and it's causing a lot of potential fears to bubble up, and that's what's slowing down the progress. As you mentioned, like if, if you're afraid of robots taking over the world now, when we're just starting to understand it, that that could slow or even change the direction of a lot of the more free thinking progress that's, that's got us to where we are, you know? Like if, if we've got to this point before we've experienced the fear and then we sort of say, well, now we're at a point where fear starts showing up and we, we start to struggle about what direction to take certain things. If we hadn't have thought that far ahead a bit, like what you mentioned with, with Elon Musk moving forwards and trying to prevent a lot of the things that he's predicting, that could be why we're making reasonably slow progress in comparison to, to what got us where we are. I mean, it's definitely an, an argument yeah. for that. And that's my biggest fear because we're in an incipient fashion, in a incipient stage right now, is that most people do not actually uh, believe that AI is doing even the smallest things. Like when we're talking to some executives, um, they come up with so many uh, excuses for why not to do it versus coming up with a reason to do it, right? Um, and it's, it's the human nature, right? Here is probably the most powerful motivator that we have in our lives. Um, and every time there's something new, people are going to fear. And what they're going to fear is like, well, if I, what, what if I do it and fails? 
how are my bosses going to look at me? How are my peers going to look at me or even my employees? So, so that's the biggest problem that I see right now is AI, without a doubt, in my mind, has one of the greatest potentials of anything that has happened to us is the invention of the internet. But most people and people in a position of power that can actually decide on, on experimenting with AI, they're not doing that out of fear. And the point is that you don't need much to make people afraid, especially people in business, right? It doesn't take a lot to make them afraid. So when you have this conversation about like all the reasons why AI is, is bad, and there are two ways of saying AI is bad. One is the Elon Musk way of like it's going to take over the world. And the second one is AI is bad because we've seen bad implementation. Now, I want to reiterate this is one of the things I always say. There's no such thing as bad AI. The only thing that you have that is bad is the people that defined the business rules behind an AI. And, and, and like a great example is chatbots. I don't know if you know, but like if you go to chatbots, all the conversation out there are like, why are chatbots dumb? Right? It's all about stupid chatbots. And then, you know, like two days ago, two days ago, we, not two days ago, like last week, we heard uh, about the most amazing chatbot on planet Earth. It was the Google Duplex and the Google I.O. And now everybody's freaking out. Now, like, they went from like, chatbots are dumb to, oh my God, I cannot tell, I cannot believe that I couldn't tell that the new Google Assistant was a robot. And even Google had to basically uh, kind of take a step back and say, well, when we're going to deploy the Google Assistant using Google Duplex technology, uh, we're going to do it with a disclaimer saying this is a robot, right? So, you know, you have these two extremes where like you have bad AI out there, which all it is is basically, and it's not bad engineering. Again, I want to make it very clear. It's bad business. Behind any technology, there's someone who says this AI, this chatbot is going to do A and B and C and react this in this way. What people at Google did, this is where you had good and smart people, they were able to anticipate all of the different ways a human could interact with the chatbot for a given scenario. And the results were amazing. Like for me, they're amazing. I'm sure there's um, a tremendous amount of fear and it's not like I'm sure you can go online. Just go online and look at um, Google duplex and criticism. And it's all about the negative thing. There's very few people out there who think, uh, I would say like me, who are AI enthusiasts and, and think about, okay, what does this mean for us? Like we saw this AI chatbot, which made a call to a restaurant and was able to interact with a person and make a reservation on behalf of a client, right? What does this mean beyond that? That's a very, how would I put this? It's a very small use case, right? It's like, okay, you know, so what? They did a, uh, they did something for me, like uh, basically a reservation at a restaurant. That's not the point. The point is, this chatbot, this AI, was smart enough contextually to do that one thing. Just think of all the possibilities in the world that require that phone conversation in the medical space. Just think of how much time um, is spent. At least I don't know the, the stats internationally, but. Um, in the United States, there's one billion doctor visits, right? Discounting probably about like a third of them that are emergencies. I'm making it up. I don't know exactly what percentage is emergencies. But we know that more than half, uh, more than half of them, so more than 500 million visits, are recurring visits to your primary physician. Well, that doesn't happen overnight. You have a person that calls them. Or you have the 
person on the other end, the patient who calls a physician's clinic and says, I need to come in. Just imagine what that AI could do in that specific case. How much time can be saved um, and how much information can actually be collected? And this is where we go into where AI can actually be smarter and better than people. People that take information, for example, from patients that are at home and they need to go and see the clinic, they may not be well-trained. They may be tired. They may not recognize the symptoms that a patient has to uh, tell them go to the doctor immediately or call 911. They may not be smart enough to know how to react in a given situation, or again, they may be tired. An artificial intelligence algorithm is not tired. An AI works just based on a simple, not simple, but based on a set of rules. Mm-hmm. So just imagine if we had a Google duplex and just that one thing of setting up appointments, medical appointments, or triaging information, or you know, collecting information over the phone and passing it right to the doctor, um, in a summarized fashion, how much better we would be, and more importantly, how many more lives would be saved? Yeah, it seems like there's there's a massive cry for it because, as you mentioned, it saves saves a lot of people time. It can save a lot of of stress and can take a lot of the pressure away from a lot of different industries. But one of the things that really stuck out for me again is because it's quite, quite good that you give these examples and, and give these sort of metaphors or stories is it can give, you can give almost the impression that it's not about the technology being the problem, is that it's, it's us as the humans being the problem, it's us as the people and how we use it and what decisions we make regarding the technology. But what would you say were, what would you say were like the important questions that we need to ask? whether it be before we move forwards with it or before we decide to make more progress with it? I mean, what, what sort of questions would you want to be answered? Um, sure. So I would start by saying this. When you're trying to uh, deploy, let's say, an artificial intelligence solution, uh, the first thing you need to think through is how you can do that um, in a way that it's very confined, right? Just treat this as an experiment, right? Like if you are, let's say, a company like Shell, right? So Shell is one of these innovative companies that has deployed um, quite a lot of different AI solutions. They, one thing to consider is that they didn't start by saying, I'm going to deploy this AI solution to all how many thousands of locations I have over the world. No, it's like I have a problem. I think AI can fix it. I think that AI can fix it this way. Let me test it at one plant uh, or a distribution center. Um, Let's basically fix all the kicks with it. Uh, Let's have people see it and monitor it. And then if all goes well, you have a staggered release. You go to two locations or 10 or 100 and so on and so forth. So the first thing that is very important um, is uh, as a question, what is the minimum viable product that you can build to test the hypothesis that an AI solution is, for lack of a different term, better than human for a particular use case? So that's the first thing. The second thing, and, and this is where um, ultimately a lot of people deploying these technologies fail, um, it, an AI solution is a matter of creativity. It's not a matter of technology. Is having the ability as a team 
um, as a leader in that field to anticipate what are all the different use cases that that particular AI should be supporting. Right? This is where we see chatbots were done. Right? This is where um, technology breaks is because at this important stamp, this is a stop uh, and step where it's like, I'm asking myself, what should this AI do? Most people fail at identifying all the use cases. So it's always a question of use cases, right? Um, just like you and I are talking right now, you know, you're asking the question, I'm thinking through the question, I'm answering. A machine can only think through a question and answer if that question is loaded within that specific AI algorithm. Now, what we have seen, for example, with Google Duplex, is that they programmed that Google Assistant to understand that they couldn't capture the answer and basically ask the question a different way. Now, that's a smart way, right? It's like, instead of what most chatbots do, which is basically you ask a question like, oh, I'm not programmed to, ask, to, um, to answer this question. Like, okay, now what, right? And when you have that interaction, it breaks down, right? The communication has broken down. You know, what now? Like, if you cannot help me, what am I going to do? This is where companies need to map. It's a mapping exercise. It's like, yeah. well, if I want technology and a human to interact in this specific case, I have to map up all the potential outcomes. And, you know, it may not be humanly possible to uh, map all of those outcomes, but this is where the second um, unfortunate event happens when companies are deploying this AI is that they do not create that analytic structure in place to understand and to capture in real time the information. Because I may not understand or I may not know all the different reactions, but if I as a business user can see what people are asking and the output, right? That's why, you know, Google I.O., what is it? It's input-output, right? And that's what AI is about, it's input-output. So if I could at least collect that information and understand where there's a breakage point, I can fix it. I can just add one more rule if this happens, if this happens. So, you know, AI is, is basically right now in that incipient phase where, like, you have to continue training it. You have to pay attention to it. You can't just, like, release it into the wild and be like, okay, it works. And when people do not come up with that mindset, when they're not creative enough to come up with the right questions and they're not, um, you know, uh, equipped enough to define a good analytic structure, a strategy for data collection, you have that breakage point of technology. You solve these two pro problems and the MVP problem that we talked at the beginning, and that's when technology and artificial intelligence ultimately become smart. One of the, um, the first things that <clears throat> sprung to my head when you were going through all the different examples of how sometimes the technology doesn't quite work because we ask it the wrong questions and don't ask things in the right way. I like the idea of, <clears throat> of changing them or adding in different rules based on what you see in people writing. So if you see like, 10 people ask the question in the same way, you can then program this, this technology to, to notice that and come up with an answer for that as well, which I quite like. But I think, I mean, you probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's starting to feel like the analogy of, it's not about the calculator, it's about what you put into the calculator basis on what the answer is. You could put, <clears throat> you could ask the question in a different way, re rearrange the, the numbers in, in the calculator in a different way, and you would probably get a different answer at the end, which means if you want the right answer, you've got to then really, really focus on what the question is. 
but one of the um i guess one of the things that i'm a little bit i wouldn't say fearful of but i'm definitely anxious to see what starts to happen is what happens when the technology starts to ask its own questions and come up with its own answers um yeah i mean what you're what you're describing is ultimately what you know what elon musk is fearing right when you have so much self-autonomy on the technology side that um you uh, you have a system that decides for itself right mm-hmm. that yeah. is ultimately you know one of the if you will one of the biggest fears um and it's something we need to address right i mean the point is this, you know, a lot of people come up with like some stupid ideas like, well, you know, we're going to have this technology and let's just have a, a switch off button, right? Like if it takes over, let's, you, you, you press this button and it switches off, right? Like, well, <laughs> yeah. that's done, right? So yeah. think about it this way. Let's say Tesla, you know, someone gets into the system and is able to corrupt it. I press a button and it all stops. Well, how many hundreds of thousands of people are using the autopilot at that time? And if you stop it, what's going to happen? Some of people are going to die, right? There's no such thing as like a one, you know, button that, that basically turns off all of the AIs, right? Now, I'm tell, uh, I can tell you how um, with, within technology, the same problem is dealt with today, but not in the AI space. We have clusters of information. Right, so you have these circles of information and and decision making, things that are happening, and you can turn off each of them individually. You cannot turn off the entire system, but you turn one thing off and you route things to a different uh, server, for example. Um, and that has worked quite efficiently, especially when you're dealing with uh, with problems, uh, including deployments. Now, that may not be a perfect solution because even there, you may not be able to to turn off any of these clusters. Um, but ultimately, what it comes down to, and this is where I agree with Elon Musk, is um, it's a question of governance, right? We need to understand where we should not be pushing a certain limit, where technology can become a danger. Um, and basically, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a huge fan of this approach. It's like, this is your box. Within the box, you have complete autonomy. Everything outside of the box is my territory or your territory or someone else's territory, right? Uh, this is not to say that you're micromanaging people. It's to say that you create the confines within which you can operate in a way that is beneficial to everybody else and not detrimental to anybody else. And that's what needs to be defined. And it needs to be defined from an AI perspective because you can make decisions on your own as a technology that are beneficial. Right. I mean, you can basically decide like a very good point of like uh, autonomous decision making is I'm collecting um, these vitals from a patient. And even if I wasn't programmed, like this is a lot of things that are wrong. I can decide to call the nurse. Right. I can decide to call the nurse if one thing is wrong or if 10 things are wrong and I can have different escalation points. Um, And, you know, I'm thinking as a machine that now it's the time to escalate. That's not a bad uh, form of self-thinking uh, artificial intelligence. And, you know, there's a lot of different things uh, of that nature, a lot of different case studies, use cases that we can define where it's actually good. You know, it's fine to have AI think for itself. We have to define the boundaries over which the AI should not be thinking, at least in the short term, until we have true oversight. Um, and the other question is, um, when you're building out these 
artificial intelligence algorithms at scale, um, I mean, ultimately what should happen is that no one person should be able to take control over the entire thing, right? It's like, you know, presidents have their button on, you know, the nuclear option. And even there, you need basically different codes by different people to be brought in together in order to push the button if you want to start a nuclear war. It's the same thing with artificial intelligence. But I would say even more important than that, because I do not believe that a single person, whoever that person is, should be able to control artificial intelligence at large. And that ultimately, the only way we're going to really have self-control is going to come from the private businesses, the private businesses involved in this is going to come out of, uh, you know, people like Elon Musk and other um, heads of major companies in, in the world coming together and say, how do we set up our own checks and balances that if someone with a negative intent breaks into this AI, the damage that they can do is minimal, but also us as um, leaders in technology, how do we make sure that if an AI makes the wrong decision on its own, that can be stopped? It's going to be an after the fact, right? We're not going to know that something is wrong until that something happens. So it's unfortunately, in this case, it's very reactive. It, but it's no different than humans, right? I may make a decision today, and I do not know if that decision is good or not. You know, I may be coming to your podcast and saying crazy stuff, right? Which would impact me if I, you know, if I go nuts, right? So it's no different than a human being, right? But the point is, right after that happens, there has to be a way to contain it. Yeah, that was that was something that that I was thinking about. I think it was a bit before you mentioned it, but you mentioned it, so I was like, oh, I'll just let him talk about it as he's as he mentioned it himself. It's almost like you, you can give you can give it free reign but you only give it the options that you want to give it. Like you can give it like three questions to answer and just keep coming up with better and better answers. You know, like the, the more and more effective answer that you can give, it's almost like the more you can confine it, I guess, or the more you put the, the barrier on it, if, you, if it keeps going, like if it keeps doing its thing and keeps coming up with these solutions, it'll get better and better at those rather than you know if you give it free reign over everything it's almost like spreading a bit too thin like it might not go deep enough to actually solve it in a better way than we could it probably could eventually but it might not be as fast as if you design something with that very very specific intent and very very specific goal in mind so yeah i quite like the the way you, you draw the the analogy there and, and painted the picture for us. If someone wanted to find out a bit more about technology at large and how you see it impacting businesses, have you got any books or resources that people could could find out? We are reasonably close to the the end now. So uh, have you got any resources or books that you recommend? And then we'll finish off with the last couple of questions for you. Yeah, so in, in terms of what is happening that's new in artificial intelligence and technology um, alone. Um, we actually uh, curate two newsletters on a weekly basis. One is about digital strategy and AI at large. Um, and every single week, we curate all of the amazing uh, resources and use cases and stories that we think are um, going to be of interest to um, anybody that has an interest in these technologies. And the other one is, is all about technology and AI and, and healthcare. So if, um, 
anybody's listening to this podcast and they want to be in the know and they don't want to do the research this week, they just want to get an email with like six things that are happening in that week that may be of interest to them, they can come to our website, which is digitalauthority.me. And there's an option to subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, you know, I'm not doing the newsletter myself personally. I have, you know, two people doing it. And I, every Monday and Thursday, I'm opening my phone and we're like, okay, what's new and exciting? What are the new things that I can uh, learn from uh, other people who have worked in this technology space before that they've done something this week that I should know, um, I should know about? Um, so I would definitely um, encourage people to, um, to sign up for, um, for that uh, newsletter. Okay. Uh, and cool. um, yeah, and, and and I think you you also had um, you know another um, question in there, which uh, basically goes uh, you know beyond that, just newsletters. If you want to read some amazing books, um, I would start with a uh, Nick uh, Borstrom's. It's called Super um, Intelligence, and oh, yeah. I also That's really like it. Another book that I read that was really cool, uh, I think his name is like Domingos. The Master Algorithm is the book. Uh, I know Domingos is the last, maybe Pedro. Pedro Domingos, the book is called The Master Algorithm. That would be, um, um, you know, a good place to start with. Okay, awesome. Um, last last question for you then. So you mentioned the, the newsletter before we get to the, the last question. Um, are you on social media or do you have a website people want to find out a bit more about you and what it is that you do? Um, yeah, absolutely. You can visit us at uh, digitalauthority.me. So you, me, me, that's the extension. So digitalauthority.me is uh, our company website. You can also follow us on uh, social media. We're uh, very active on Twitter. Um, our handle is a digital part. And if you ever have a question or, you know, or um, anybody wants to get in touch with us, you can write us uh, an email at hello at digitalauthority.me. I'm always interested in meeting uh, new people um, who are interested in technology. Um, I think we're, we're the point in, in history where the only way to really move forward is to collaborate very closely and it's to uh, really talk to each other. I am a huge proponent of the fact that the more you talk about anything, a problem, a solution, uh, the better ideas come to life. So um, I hope that anybody who listens to this podcast who has an interest in technology or a problem they want to solve or just wants to, you know, say hi and, and talk to me about technology, that they will reach out uh, directly on LinkedIn on um, Twitter or directly through our company website, digitalauthority.me. Okay, last question for you. And I ask all the guests this and we've had reasonably random answers. So it doesn't, doesn't have to be related to what it is that we've just spoken about. And the last question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? Um, about me in particular, I would say uh, I spend most of my uh, disposable income on uh, traveling all over the world. I am really a huge fan of, of learning um, new cultures, of interacting with, with people uh, from different backgrounds. So, well, when I'm not working, which is very rare, to be completely honest with you, I, I love to travel the world.
So if anybody listening to this podcast has uh, a great idea of a new place to see, and when I say new place to see, I mean really uh, exciting people to meet, um, despite you know what the mainstream media uh, has to say. Uh, you know, there could be places that are, for example, thought of as being dangerous, but you've been there and you think it's actually a very good place to go meet and, and learn from. Uh, I would love to hear any suggestions. All right. Sounds good. Well, Codrin, thanks for spending time to be a guest on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me over.